At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. All right, if you would this morning, uh, take out a Bible, electronic device, and turn with me to the book of Lamentations. Book of Lamentations. We're going to be in Lamentation chapter 3 today. And if you're uh, not so familiar with the Bible, if you open up the Bible and you, uh, kind of towards the middle, you'll see the book of Psalms. And uh, if you keep them moving to the right a little bit, you'll go through Isaiah, which is a long one, and then Jeremiah is a long one as well. And then Lamentations is right after Jeremiah. So go ahead and turn there. We will be in chapter 3 today. This morning as we look to God's word, I want us to ask ourselves the question, what do we do or how do we respond when life goes sideways? Right? Have you, like when you're going through life and you feel like the wheels just fall off, where you're walking through a, a season of pain, suffering, or you're overwhelmed with grief, how do you respond? I really want us to wrestle with this today because I, I think when we look towards the world, the world gives us two options when we're dealing with grief and pain and we just are wondering, like, why is there so much pain in life? Why does it hurt when relationships are over or when people die or like whoa, this whole big bag of a mess that we live in? The world gives us two options. One, the world says you can deal with grief and pain in despair. Right? You, can, you can go through life and you can be like, well, there's no hope, there's no reason for life, there's no, there's no joy anymore, so it's just despair, so might as well just kill myself. Right? That's, that's one option that the world gives you, is suicide. Like, just end it because there is no hope, there is no, there is no afterlife, there is no, nothing that's good, all of life is full of pain and sorrow and disappointment, and so it, leads, it can lead to despair. The other option for dealing with grief and pain and sorrow that the world gives us is denial. Right? We can see the pain and we can see the sorrow and we can just say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to deny that it's there, it's not for me. And so instead of dealing with the grief and pain, we go to other places to try and soften that. Sometimes we, we turn to substances and we begin to abuse substances that help us feel a little bit better for a while. Or maybe after a, a broken relationship to deal with the pain of that, we seek to get into another relationship that inevitably is going to be broken as well. And so we complete the cycle over and over and over and over again. And so the world gives us these two options, this despair and denial. But I want us to see as we've been walking through this sermon series together that God gives the Christian another option. He gives us the other option, and this is a beautiful gift. It's the gift of lament. When we go through the pains of life, God gives us this beautiful gift. It's called lament, and I've given you a definition of it for the past several weeks. I'll give it to you again. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Now, we're not promised that life is going to be easy, but we are promised that God will be with us as we go through the trials of life. 
And today, as we're looking at lament, I want us to see the way that the gift of lament can change us as we walk through the difficulties of life. Years ago, I read the story of Horatio Spatford. Horatio Spatford was a a Christian lawyer that um, in, in all intents and purposes was a man that was on his way up. He was a successful lawyer. He owned several real estate uh, adventures inside the city of Chicago, and life was going great. He had his faith. He had his family. He had everything. You would look at Horatio's life, and you would say, from a worldly perspective, you would say that that man has got it all together. But then, in 1870, the wheels started to fall off. In 1870, Horatio lost his only son to scarlet fever. He watched his boy die in his arms. That would cause any of us to begin to consider, like, what's the purpose of life? Losing a child, I can't think of any deeper pain. But it isn't in there. The very next year, in 1871, the great Chicago fire took place, and he lost almost all of his real estate holdings. And as a, 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 just a further trickle down from that, he's, he's losing his, his business, he's losing his financial resources, and then the city actually goes through an ec- economic downturn, and so Horatio is losing that, that, that source of income. And as he begins to feel like his world is swirling out of control, he decides what he's going to do is he's going to encourage him and his wife and his four daughters and he made a plan for them to, to travel overseas by, by ship to go to a, uh, a conference or to go to a rally where D.L. Moody was going to be speaking. At the last minute, as he, he's getting ready to put his family on the boat, he realizes that he's not able to go. And he says, hey, I'll just catch up with you. And so he sends his family across the sea as he stays home. Halfway across the Atlantic, the ship carrying his wife and four daughters collides with another ship. The ship sinks in the middle of the Atlantic. Horatio's wife is the only one that survived from the family. The girls perish, and as soon as Horatio's wife gets to shore, she sends a telegram to her husband that simply says, saved alone. How would you respond? You just lost everything. You've lost a son. You lose four daughters. You've lost your business. You've lost everything and all you are. And you're separated from from your wife by a massive sea. How do you respond? How, How do you act and how do you feel in the midst of knowing that God is good and yet it doesn't feel good? How in the world can walking through a season of pain like that actually be good? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like it's fair. Well, let me tell you the rest of the story. So after hearing the news, Horatio boards a ship because he wants to go meet up with his mourning wife. And during the journey, he spent hours upon hours on the side of, of, of looking out the side of the ship at the sea, the same roaring sea that took the life of his daughters. He was a man full of grief, but a man also of faith. 
And on this journey, he continually went back to the Lord over and over and over again with this pain and allowed the Lord to minister to his pain. And about the time he gets to the same place where the ship went down, Horatio actually writes these words that actually become a part of a song. He writes this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roar, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. You, you can't write those words in the place of grief unless you mean them. Right? You, you, you can't fake that. And, and so what Horatio is doing is he's contemplating the goodness of God and the pain of this life. He says, you know, there are some times when, when life is like a peaceful river. God gives us those times of peaceful river, but sometimes God gives us those times of deep sorrow, like sea billows roll. But then he says this, whatever my lot, God has taught me to say it is well. The world cannot give this to you. The world cannot give you this kind of peace. The only, type of, the only way we can feel this type of peace is through going to God and allowing him to minister to our pain. We see Horatio, through his words of lament to the Lord, to the Lord continues to, to, it leads him to a place where he trusts in the Lord. And if we're all honest, we all face sorrow and grief in our lives, but not everyone responds in the same way. I'm sure if we had time this morning, we could go throughout the room and we could share stories of, of pain and, and of sorrow and of grief. And, and maybe you've walked through a season of your life or you're walking through a dark season of your life and you're asking questions like, God, where are you? Am I alone? What do I do in this darkness? What do I do with this pain? What do I do with this sorrow? And you don't really have a category in your life of how to deal with it. And I, I want us to see that God has given us the gift of lament. Today, as we look at Lamentations chapter 3, as we've been walking through this series entitled Good Morning, we've been walking through uh, this, this poetry that uh, the prophet Jeremiah writes. Especially as, and as we get to chapter 3, what we're going to see is that Jeremiah is writing in the middle of, of the moment where the wheels have completely fallen off for him where everything in, in, in life has been tested and tried, as he's now just personally walked through witnessing the, the city of Jerusalem be utterly destroyed through the Babylonians and, and all of God's people being uh, held captive and, and being sent off as exiles into Babylon. We see as, as Israel is walking through the deepest pain of, of its history at this time, Jeremiah has been taking some time to recount this corporate lament. He's been talking about as, as a people how they deserve this punishment from God because they've been disobedient. But at the same time, now he, he's transitioning to look more personally. How is this situation that he sees personally affecting him? And here in chapter 3, he is recounting his suffering. And if we look in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 18, we see that he's at a place of desperation. For chapter 3, verse 18 says this, So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. This doesn't sound like a guy that's in a place where, where things are going really good. He's at a place where his, his hope from the Lord 
is perishing. He's held on for a long time and now he's walking through a season where it doesn't make sense, it doesn't feel good, and it feels as though he is losing his hope. For at this point, hope was dead. He had reached the end of his resources and it seemed absolutely hopeless. But yet, three verses later, this is what the prophet writes. He says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. I want you to see the gravity of this this morning. There's so many times we, we miss the power of lament and we miss the power of God's word. Jeremiah goes from a point where he's like, I, everything is hopeless. I am on my, the verge of death in my very soul, he feels. And then a few verses later, but this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. How is it that Jeremiah is able to get there? We need to see this because this is, this is something different that the world doesn't have for us. How, how do we get to that place like Horatio did? How do we get to this place like Jeremiah does? And it's through the gift of lament. What are we going to see today through this passage is that a lament allows us to hope. Lament allows us to hope. Even when we go through the most worst times of our life, when we feel most hopeless and we feel like our energy is all drained out of us, when we are enduring intense suffering and grief, we know that we can move forward in our pain. And you may be wondering, how do you do this? How do we find hope? Well, today we're going to see two truths from this passage that God gives us so that we can see that through walking through lament, we can have hope. The first truth that I want us to see today as we look at verses 1 to 18 is that we are called to acknowledge your affliction. Look with me in verse 1. Jeremiah writes, I am the man who has been afflicted under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into the darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in the darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so I cannot, cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He has turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become a laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunt all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. This is a man in pain. And throughout these 18 verses, he, or six, 16 verses so far, he gives us metaphor and illustration after illustration as he is expressing his pain. And we know that he's now transitioning to, to a personal cry because he starts off by saying, I am the man who has seen affliction. 
as he has witnessed the devastation and the deportation of the people of God, it has moved him and it has affected him in a deeply personal way as he right now is walking and trying to deal with the dissonance of life. We see that he has true pain. And we see that he also understands that his suffering is due to the rod of God's wrath. That is, it is God that is doing this. The sovereign hand of God is against Israel and it is against Jeremiah because of their sin. Even though the Babylonians were the ones that were carrying out the will of God, we see that uh, Jeremiah is expressing his pain of how he feels as though the Lord is against him. As he feels as though he has become an enemy of God. He gives us very, image, very um, vivid imagery. Verses 1 through 6, he sees that God is the enemy. As he goes, he's being transported out of the lightness of God into darkness. And he endures physical suffering. Then in verses 7 through 9, Jeremiah feels as though he's in prison and sees God as a warden that has given him shackles and has made the chains heavy. He once was in a place where the, the paths were straight, but now they seem crooked. He sees God as a wild beast that is waiting to devour him and rip him apart. He sees God as a warrior that is against him, that has taken his bow and arrow and shot it directly at him, and it has, it has hurt him. It has drove deep into his kidneys. So he sees God not only as a warrior, but sees God as a hunter. And all of this has left Jeremiah bitter. It's given him that bitter taste in his mouth, this bitterness or this wormwood. Wormwood was, was a plant that was known for its bitterness. And he's saying, after all of this, where I feel and where I'm going through is Jeremiah had lost all peace. God was not for him. God was against him. And then in verse 17 and 18, we see Jeremiah expressing this peace. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. This shalom of God has left him. He has no energy. He has no resources to deal with the difficulties that he's faced. And all he can do is express his affliction to the Lord. Through these verses, this is what we see is the important thing about acknowledging our affliction. Jeremiah demonstrates for us the right response to difficulty. Go directly to God with your feelings, with your pain, with your hurt, and be as descriptive as you want to. God is not angry at Jeremiah for coming to him. God is not angry at Jeremiah for giving him the accusations that he's against him. He, he's not uh, uh, bringing him down or separating him anymore, but he's giving him this space in order to communicate to the God of the universe. This passage invites us to be honest and real with our suffering. We don't have to hide our suffering and our pain. We don't have to put a, a happy Christian spin on life. Rather, it invites us to acknowledge all the raw, the raw and painful reality. 
Most of the time we think that as Christians we're supposed to keep a happy face on in the midst of all of our pain, that everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be okay, and that's all we have to do. And the reality is everything is going to be okay. But that doesn't mean we have to avoid the pain. God has big shoulders. He can bear our weights and he can bear our words. Maybe today you find yourself at a place like this. Maybe, maybe you find yourself today mad at God. Maybe things in your life, there's pain in your life that still causes anger. It's okay. Better to take that anger to God than to hold it inside of yourself. Or maybe you've experienced that, that moment in life where you've never really rectified where God was in the midst of your suffering. Maybe you've felt as though God has abandoned you in, in your life. Let me encourage you today, if you're not walking through a season of pain, to know that when it's coming, learn now the proper response because it will help you along the way. Maybe you're in the midst of that deep pain right now and, and you're like, this is the answer. This is what I needed to hear. Bring your pain to the Lord. God can handle our sadness. He can handle our depression. He can handle our frustration. He can handle our accusations and he can handle our anger. God meets us in this place when we share our feelings with him. He meets us there. He doesn't turn his back on us, even though it feels like he might. But he's there with us. So the first truth today, as we look at this passage, we need to be reminded to acknowledge your affliction. The second truth that I want us to see is that we need to remember your God. Look at verse 19. Jeremiah writes, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Do you see what Jeremiah does there? This is the key and this is the secret to living a life when the shalom or the peace of God feels like it has left us is that we take time to remember your God. Jeremiah writes, remember my afflictions and my wandering. He's like, remember, see me, Lord, see me in the midst of this bitterness and bile. That's how he expresses it. I love how Jeremiah like, is really real. He's like this wormwood, this bitterness, and this bile. Two nasty things that, that, uh, that we don't like to deal with. We don't like super bitter things, and we don't like bile. We want to get them out of our mouth as soon as we possibly can. And this is how Jer Jeremiah is feeling. But he says that through this time, it has brought him low. It has brought him to the place where he's come to the end of himself. And he realizes that there's nothing that he can personally do to heal the situation. And then in verse 21, there is a massive shift where Jeremiah shifts from focusing on to his own, from his own feelings 
to calling to mind the truths of God. In this moment, there's this drastic shift that's a movement from hopelessness to hope. And where does he get this? Well, he gets this hope by returning to what he knows and believes to be true about God. This phrase, I I call to mind, is, is in essence of saying, this I return to my heart. I'm coming back to this place of where I need to be reminded of who God is and what God says he will do. Remembering God is a key step in our journey of lament. For lamenting is is not just about, God, save me from this situation, because God might not change your circumstances. You may be going through a season of suffering and grief, and it may be an extended time. And, And the prayer of lament is not, Lord, get me out, but Lord, get me through. Lord, get me through this. Because of your faithfulness and because of your love and because of your mercy, we need to take the shift from our feelings and focus back on what we know to be true. And where does Jeremiah go? Jeremiah goes back to Exodus chapter 36 or chapter 34, verse 6, as he's being remembering about the the God and his character. Exodus 34, verse 6 says this, The Lord passed before me and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's obvious. You see the connection here between that Old Testament verse and and now what Jeremiah is expressing. Jeremiah has been meditating on this verse and reminding himself of God's steadfast love, his covenantal love, his mercy and his compassion. He understands that they are eternal and that they are new every day. It's this hope that emerges in the midst of his pain because he's reminded of who God is. This is where we go. We remember our God, for it is God that saves us. It is God that reminds us of who he is. I want to show you uh, a little illustration to help us understand this. All right, so that, that's a train, right? And the train is composed of three parts. It's got fact, faith, and feelings. So the feelings is caboose, faith is, is the, uh, the fuel car, and then the fact is what drives the train. Now, these are three elements in our lives, and a lot of times people try to live their lives allowing the caboose to drive. Think about that for a moment, right? Feelings are real, and yet if feelings have no uh, opportunity or ability to drive the train, but yet so many times in the world today, we see so many people that are driven by feelings, that all that matters is my feelings, The problem is your feelings are fickle. If you're allowing your feelings to drive your train, you're going to be doing this your whole life. In in one instant, you're going to be at peace. The next instant, you're going to be filled with rage and anger. And so that's not how God has designed us. God has designed us to express and to have feelings, but feelings do not drive the day. Does that make sense? In essence, what drives the train? Fact. Fact always drives the train. It has the power because it doesn't matter how much you feel like two plus two equals four, right? You could feel all day. You're like, I don't like that. Like it's, it's not comfortable for me to, to think about two and two being four, right? It doesn't matter how you feel about it. 
Because your feelings don't matter because the truth is two plus two equals four, right? And there's no way you can go around it. And so what we see here is fact is what drives the train, but what fuels the train? It's our faith. And each moment of our lives, we sit in that fuel car and we have to make a decision. What am I gonna give myself over to? What am I giving my trust in? Am I trusting in the truths of God and who he is and who he says he is? Or am I going to allow my feelings to rule the day? Because look at how this works. If I'm expressing my faith, inside of facts of who God is and what he says to be true, and that train starts moving, what happens to my feelings? They're changed, right? They get carried along. They don't carry me along. They get carried along in the fact that God is true, God is good, and God is working all things out for his glory and for my benefit, even if it doesn't feel good. Every single page on the word of God is God revealing himself to us, talking to us about how he has a plan and he has a purpose. And even through the midst of our pain, he is there. When you're walking through seasons of grief, sorrow, express your feelings to God, but don't stay there. Don't just stay there by saying, you know, have your pity party before the Lord and saying, Lord, this isn't fair. Lord, this isn't fair. But in your time of calling out to God, return to the fact of what you know to be true about who he is. Rehearse the promises of God and meditate on the character of God. Now, as you're walking through that season, you, that, you, it, this isn't just something like you wake up in the morning and you rehearse the promises of God. No, you constantly live in this place, especially when, it's, when grief is at its worst. And pain is at its worst. Like you may have to rehearse the promises of God like nine million times in a day because your feelings are always going to want to take you off track. They're always going to want to come in and tell you lies about God and about who you are and about who he is. And so we need to battle our feelings with fact. God is good. God is right. God is true. God is for me. God is not against me. Continually be reminded of that. And we even have a better benefit than Jeremiah. We see he was able to come to this place of thriving through the midst of his sorrow and pain because he learned the secret of lament. But we are even better off because we live with the benefits of having Jesus already bringing us peace. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, talks about Jesus. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus is acquainted with your grief. Jesus is acquainted with your sorrow. Jesus knows your pain. He knows every single thing that you're feeling and knows every single thing that you're experiencing. And yet as Jesus walked through all of those things, he never lost sight of the fact that God was good and God is in control. And so we have the benefit of having Jesus in our lives through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. So when we suffer, you're not suffering alone. Jesus is with you. 
And even in those moments where you don't feel like you can even lift your head, allow Jesus to lift your head. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if life's all hunky-dory and you're like Horatio Spatford before 1860. Well, you're riding on top. But let me remind you, there always comes a valley. Because we don't grow on the mountaintop, we grow in the valley. And so just know, seasons of grief are coming, so be, be ready. Be ready to take what you've learned today. Take your affliction to the Lord, but then trust in his promises of who he is. So be ready. Thank God right now for the season of peace that you have. Or maybe you're here today and you are in the midst of the pain. Look to God. Trust in him. He is good. Or maybe you're here today and you you are walking alongside of someone or you know of someone that is walking through a season of grief. I want to encourage you to go against what you feel. So many times when when people are walking through pain, our our national tendency is to to kind of look away and be like, I just don't want to get involved in that. Well, the reason that you are able to see is because God wants you to see your brother or sister walking through a season of pain. And maybe he wants you to be the ministering body that comes alongside this partnering person that comes alongside those that are walking through deep pains and deep sorrow. But today, let us take the word of God and let us respond in a way that we are constantly reminded of who he is and what he says he will do and trust in him all the way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, God, for the gift of your grace. We thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus. But Father, we also know that life hurts and it's painful. And so, Father, this morning, I want to pray for those that are suffering, those truly that are in that place of dissonance where they just don't have clear understanding of what you're doing or where you're, what you are about. And I pray, God, today that they would, even as we sing this song, they would use this time as a time of lament where they express to you their feelings But then, God, as we we sing, may the, the words of this song remind us that you are true and that you are good and that you're working in our lives. Or maybe today, God, you just want us to have eyes to see those that are suffering around us. Move us, Father, today to pray for them, to encourage them, and to help them as they walk this journey. But Father, we know that you are good. We know that you are who you say you are and do the things you say you will do. And so we rest and we trust in that today. Help our feelings to not lead us, but help our feelings lead us to you. Father, now as we sing, take this worship and remind us in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. 
Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.